0: Greetings, programs, and welcome to a new episode of the Awesome Friday Podcast. The only podcast where we review two new things every week. Uh,
1: <laughs> the, only, the only podcast that does that. Like, no, the only, the, only,
0: the only podcast where we do it. Where we do
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's yeah. the big difference, isn't it? That yeah. us doing
0: it. Yeah, we are the differentiators, it is true. My name is Matthew, and with me, as is usual, is Simon... Uh Say further hello, Simon. Hello, <laughs> hello. Simon. <laughs> uh, say your seventh hello, Simon.
1: Hello, I just feel like you know I'm just trying to help you out, help you out <laughs> by saying hello multiple times.
0: I mean, yeah, I can I can just cut around and choose the best one. That's how that works, okay. right?
1: Well, then use this one from um, the deeply disappointing Kenobi series. Hello, which is how I <laughs> greet my dog every time I see him now which is the hello, the, uh, the, the, the bad guy who dies in... Spoiler, he's not really dead. The Inquisitor, really bad, comes back and greets the person who had uh, um, double-crossed him and thought left him for dead with the most perfect hello. And now that's how I greet my dog every day. It's wonderful.
0: I mean, I do, uh, I do greet people often by saying hello there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but that's really more from, like, you know, the, the prequel movies and the Clone Wars TV show than anything
1: else. You have the ginger beard to carry it off, though, and your Alec Guinness stroke, your McGregor impression is on point, so... Um,
0: oh, well, thank you for saying so. I generally make it a point to not do accents in front of people who have those or related accents, because it feels like <laughs> folly, but uh, thank you for that. I appreciate <laughs> it.
1: Yes, my, my friend Alec Guinness would be honoured by your impression,
0: I'm sure I'm <laughs> or spinning in his grave. It's definitely one of the two. <laughs> yep.
1: So how are you? How are you feeling? You sound much better. We were just having this conversation. Is this, I've got a little eye infection, but both of our voices seem pretty great this week. I have like a voice update? Neither of us is choking to death.
0: Yes. Neither of us have colds, flus or COVIDs this week, which is uh, a welcome change from the last like month or give it, so. Give it a few days. Um, we'll uh, no. Things are things are generally good. Uh, Vancouver Film Festival wrapped up. I don't know if you, the listeners, had a chance to listen to our two episodes on the on the on the festival, but we did two episodes, and they were both really fun to do. Um, Simon, you saw two things at Film
1: Fest, I think. <laughs> the, Simon, the Simon Film Festival is yes, two movies. That's correct. Yeah.
0: good, awesome. I for my yeah for my i think you're uh we have we're hoping to get into a few more festivals before the end of the year you're hoping to get into one i was like i shouldn't go crazy and apply to a bunch of film festivals this year and then i proceeded to apply to four more festivals so
1: yeah i say because i really want to do vancouver asian film festival so i've applied for that i've had i've also applied to fantasia as you have i believe or is that finished now Is that been a
0: uh fantasia was fantasia was in um august yeah
1: we've also had an invite for whistler film fest so uh i don't know if you're gonna squeeze that in in december as well
0: uh we we've already put in our application for that so yes
1: okay (laughs) so yes all of the festivals yeah
0: i uh i really like whistler film festival actually it's uh it's a smaller festival for sure and but they often have a ton of Canadian content, which I very—I've in my old age I've come to appreciate all
1: that. That's your thing at the moment, isn't it? This last year has been—I want to cover more Canadian stuff. Like I want to be a Canadian drum beater, which is a little bit,
0: yeah. I mean, it's—we uh, are a fully functioning nation with a fully functioning film industry, and I feel like as Canadian podcasters, we should maybe represent that more than we do.
1: So in your opinion, um, which is the best Canadian movie and why is it Cube? <laughs>
0: uh, there's so many good Canadian films to, to choose from. I don't know what I would. I don't know what I would choose. Let's let's to Google. Um, it's,
1: it's cute. While Matthew's Googling, if you haven't seen uh, the Canadian produced sci-fi horror, maybe? Definitely
0: horror. It's maybe. That is a horror said. film.
1: <laughs> I know, is it? But um, it's horrific, certainly, and wonderful. And it's I love um, very clever bottle movies. And this is a very clever movie where it's multiple bottles all connected. And each bottle has a little trap in it. And they try and work out how to get out of the trap. And it's really, really nice because it's one of those movies where they clearly shot it in the same two rooms (laughs) from different angles and lighting. Because I think it was made like shoestring budget would be an over exaggeration. Like they made this with basically nothing. And if you watch it now, there's a bunch of faces in it that you now recognize after Cube really did a lot of work. Um, and it's just really really effective in a way that most of the sequels are not there's a couple there's one of the sequels i quite like but the original is fantastic and it's one of my favorite canadian movies
0: yeah i mean there's three three cube movies that i'm aware of and one of them is great and one of them is good and one of them is
1: eh. <laughs> and, and a, a japanese uh, a japanese remake which was last year i believe
0: yeah, and uh, I don't know if we're going to get to cover it on the podcast, but uh, Vincenzo Natale, that was his feature debut as a writer and director. He'll be um, he'll be directing one of the episodes of the upcoming Guillermo del Toro Cabinet of Curiosities anthology series, and I'm very much looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. He's a he's a, a pretty great Canadian filmmaker. I have no, there's so many Canadian films. I'm almost supposed to choose one. It's not <laughs> even fair. Everywhere.
1: We were at you at the wrong moment. How about Rambo? Does Rambo count First Blood as it was filmed in The Little
0: Town? No, that's a, that was filmed in Canada, but it is not a Canadian. It is a very distinctly American film. Oh. Um, I was trying to think. Probably in the last couple of years. I can think of two films in the last couple of years that I really, really liked. One would be um, You Will Remember Me. Which is a French Canadian film about a man dealing with uh, the onset of Alzheimer's, which is just heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's another one that is called Underground, or in French, souterrain, souterrain, uh, which mm-hmm. is about a it's about a uh, group of miners again in Quebec that are trapped in a uh, like there's a, an accident and they're trapped, and the, the whole movie is just trying to get them out. Super super good uh super tense movie um that I saw at whistler I saw both of at whistler i think 2 years ago um antohara is a great film uh the fast runner uh which is a inuit canadian film uh wildhood last year which is a very like a uh, indigenous coming of age story super great movie uh like there's so many it's fun. It's funny because uh, when you ask the average person on the street, like what they think of Canadian film, most people seem to think that it uh, it sort of has a bad rep for some reason. People sort of look down on it. I think that has a lot to do with you know uh, budget and marketing. But yeah. there's actually you know the ratio of good ones, great ones, and good ones to bad ones and terrible ones is pretty well the same ratio as it is in Hollywood. <laughs> Just maybe on an order of you know, budgetary scale is different.
1: Yeah. As someone like, uh, I'm definitely, as you may have noticed, I lean more to genre films like zombie horrors and, and, uh, and most of them are, are pretty bad. Um, like the ones that really stand out for me are the ones with really good style. And, um, I, if you remember back, if you're a long time listener, we covered blood quantum when it came out and I, there were major issues with the acting, but, it was directed with so much verve and energy and actually thought an actual Canadian, you know, genre director that is showing us something really, really exciting. And unfortunately he died this week just after a year of being very sick. Jeff Barnaby, unfortunately passed away. So that was very, very sad for Canadian film. And um, he had, he had huge prospects. I think like he, uh, he, apparently fought very very hard to make his films made and if you watch blood quantum it's got a real kind of george romero dawn of the dead but from his angle as well it's got this huge like indigenous issues mixed in with it as well
0: yeah that's a great that's a great movie
1: it it, it had some issues but the potential his potential as a a genre filmmaker, Uh, it was huge. And I I haven't seen his other movie, actually. Um, Blood for, sorry, Rhymes for Young Ghouls. But I heard this week from uh, one of our mutuals that that's very, very good as well. So I'll be watching that, but that's a real shame.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting too, because I think uh, he was a somewhat early example. In, In the last, like, say, decade or more, um there's been a real shift from i used to think that most of our best films came out of french canada and in the last couple of years uh with things like wildhood um uh and blood quantum and there's another one that i am forgetting the name of night raider night raiders is i think um where i think a lot of our best stories are starting to come out of indigenous culture uh and he was Maybe not leading the way, but he was clear he was just getting started.
1: Yeah, and he was using it. It wasn't just telling the indigenous story in, in the same way that um, oh begins with B, not bones, not birds. Uh, the film we watched last year. Oh my god, I can't. Remember oh, the name. you mean but beans? Beans. My god, my brain. So beans was a, v- a very good movie and told an indigenous story in that way. And he, what I found really interesting about Black Cotton is that he used it as a framework for this like zombie horror as well. And it really like worked. It really, Mm -hmm. really, he managed to make it work. And that was the most impressive thing about that movie. And it was shot very well. I, the, the, the acting's not great, but the, the ideas behind it and the potential was massive. massive. I mean,
0: I, I even disagree that the acting was not, I mean, there's definitely there's better performances in, every mm-hmm. film then there are you know then worse ones but mm-hmm. uh speaking of i mean if you haven't seen night raiders which actually features and i'm gonna butcher her name but i think it's l maya Tailfeathers, who's mm-hmm. one of the leg like, leads in that in um blood quantum is also think, one of the leads in yeah, in night raiders it's and yeah. and night raiders is a It takes the basically it takes the the history of residential schools in Canada and like takes it to its most extreme endpoint in a science fiction story, and it's Mm -hmm. quite harrowing. Um, I thought it was really you know uh, the ending suffers a bit from the uh, the aforementioned budgetary limitations, but uh, it's still a uh, pretty great movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Okay, so what are we covering this week? Right. (laughs) Two non-Canadian
0: productions. Well, yeah, two non-Canadian productions, but we can lead into this from a genre's perspective. We are going to talk first about a uh, genre special from Marvel and Disney called Werewolf by Night, uh, and then we're going to move on to the latest Netflix uh, release, uh, which is actually Germany's um, official entry into the Oscars for Best Foreign Language Film, All Quiet on the Western Front. But we're going to start with Werewolf by Night, which is a Disney Plus TV special, technically. It's only about an hour long, so it's not a series and it's not a movie um, starring uh, Gael Garcia uh, Bernal and directed by famed composer Michael Mm Giacchino and uh, tells the story of Jack Russell, which, just as a side note, is a great name for a character who turns into a dog. Um, and basically, the I don't know the setup of this movie is it's basically a love letter to the original universes, Universal monsters um, continuity, like the the Frankenstein's and the Draculas and the Invisible Men of the nineteen thirties. Uh, this this movie clearly loves those. Uh, and shockingly, the Wolfman in particular. Uh, and it starts out with a group of hunters who are called to a secret meeting where the lead hunter in the world has died and his magical artifact uh, needs to be passed on to a new person to be the new leader of the hunters. And Gael Garcia Bernal is there. Uh, but it turns out he's a werewolf and he's there to rescue the monster they all have to hunt and kill as part of their uh, the ceremony to see who gets this thing. And I'm not going to lie, I very much enjoyed this. It's uh, only about an hour long, uh, which is just long enough so it doesn't wear out its welcome. It's shot in this really stark, uh, high contrast black and white, which means that it's super gory without actually being overtly super gory. Um, There's a couple of really fun performances. There's a bunch of really fun effects. And uh, I really liked it. And I think you should probably watch it. I don't know. Simon, what did you think?
1: Um I find, I thought it was in a really weird place like it it was shot like a classic 1930s horror uh, like monster movie and that's really nice for me because it's one of my earliest sort of movie experiences Is what is when my parents went to bed is uh, in those years so this is the early 80s in Britain and we had three channels <laughs> and nothing, it wasn't on demand and BBC 2 or Channel 4 so we have four channels, which show um, often like B movies, like black and white B movies and, and monster movies. And uh, it's one of the things that really made me fall in love with film. So watching something that was stylized the same way, I thought was lovely. Really, really nice. I I really like Gail uh, Garcia Bernard as a performer. I think he's. Um, he's made some odd choices in his career, but I think he's got that kind of thing that Oscar Isaac has, which is he can play both ends of the scale. He can be kind of awkward and quiet and adorable, or he can be absolutely chilling and terrifying. And I I think he's a a really great performer. Um, And he's great in this as well. He's before he, I didn't know who's called Jack Russell. It's interesting for me as well, (laughs) because apparently all of these characters have huge comic backgrounds and i i knew nothing about any of it so it was very interesting to go in and um and kind of view it surface level and uh so he was great and um what i found was that it was kind of stuck in the middle it was too gory to be a true 1930s like homage which weren't especially gory movies they they tended to leave most of it to your imagination because they didn't have the effects they, there was lots of shadow play and lots of like noises off camera and um, well
0: they also they also had to like function within the haze code most of the time which would right. prohibit it's, them from doing that kind of thing
1: right 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 so it was too gory to be a true 1930s homage but it wasn't scary or gory enough to be a true horror <laughs> I've seen mm-hmm. a couple of reports saying is this Marvel's new horror I'm like like uh angle I'm like it, it it didn't it felt like it was restrained by the Disney of it all by the MCU of it all. it either should have gone much more horror or it should have dialed down because there was some very explicit gore they should have dialed that down so my kids could watch it. And let their imagination sort of beetle It's the same with what Beetlejuice does. Like it's it's like leave it to the kids' imagination. You can skirt around the the uh certification and you can still have the same effect. It's kind of I I prefer it a bit less explicit. Um so I felt I, I feel it was kind of stuck in this middle ground. What do you think?
0: Uh I think that if I was 15, 16, I would have loved this thing. I think you're I think you're right that maybe it's a little bit too gory for your eight-year-old and potentially almost 12-year-old. Yes. But like 14, 15, 16? Nah, it's totally fine. This is exactly the kind of thing I would have loved to have found on late-night TV when I was like 16. <laughs> you know. Um, and I disagree that it's not horror enough. It's just like um, I've, I struggle with this a lot because I know that a lot of people, and I'm not trying to sound accusatory, but I know a lot of people's definition of horror is it's scary, but that's not actually what horror needs to be. This is very clearly horror in the style of 1930s universal monsters. It is a horror story. And I, I, I really appreciate the homage. I appreciate that Michael Jack, you you can imagine the pitch meeting for this where they're like, so Mike, you want to, you want to direct this? You want to direct this thing? Great. Who are you thinking to get the score to do the score? you can imagine them just being like, are you, are you, are you fucking with me right now? Like, because the score is A, over the top in all of the best melodramatic ways and B, just also kind of wonderful. Like I, I've had some, a couple of the themes running through my head since I saw this earlier this week. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I, I, I really enjoyed it. I do, like I say, I think you're probably right. I think it's probably not for kids. Um, but I think that that's okay. And I think that, that is, that's not a mark against for me. A, because I'm not a kid and B, that like, Again, like middle teenagers and older teenagers, probably this is perfect for. Mm, and and I don't need the, and I think that the, you're right that it's gory, but I think that the black and whiteness of it all dials it down enough to make that sort of okay. Right? Like, like there's definitely huge splatters of blood, but it might as well be like ink on screen, right? Like there's mm. definitely room for the mind to interpret stuff away. <laughs> and uh and and i i don't know i just i'd such a we're gonna i think we're gonna get more into this in a minute but like i'm also just super excited that it's a it's a one-off it's a mar- like maybe it's probably not going to be a one-off at the end of the day but like it's not a series it's not a movie it's a one-hour special it's a one-hour love letter to these old school styles of filmmaking it's not aimed at the coveted like 12 to 14 year old demographic. like to me it represents marvel taking uh marvel's sort of continued we're gonna try targeting other people trend that they've been going through lately and i find that very exciting
1: Mm, yeah it's nice to see something stylistically a little different and uh, i will say though one thing I really did really really disliked about this and it's the thing that gets me I think more than it gets you and that's the fight choreography and the way the fighting was shot was awful like really really fucking bad like to the point where you could see people lining up for their choreography and pulling the punches and like there's a it's a, real, yeah. it's a real skill like it, it's not because it was trying to be a 1930s thing it was just bad and i the, i'm
0: willing rest, to i'm willing to write school. that off as a 1930s homage um, thing
1: but it, but they had a full like that they were trying to do the fight in the 1930s kind of framework and they just did it just wasn't good there's a, a skill to filming it and choreographing it and and acting it out in a way that can still be believable. doesn't matter which area you're trying to emulate. It was just really Mm. bad. And the last 10 minutes is basically a big fight. And all of it, uh, I was just like, oh no, it's just terrible. Yeah,
0: I did not find that to be... I guess maybe because my expectations when it comes to Marvel fight choreography is fairly low at this point. I did not find that to be... (laughs) A problem. I like you say it doesn't get me as much, but I think I'm just sort of desensitized to it now because I don't, I don't really expect Marvel's fight choreography to be spectacular or even necessarily good.
1: But the problem is, in Moon Knight, it was exceptional.
0: I see. No, I disagree. It was exactly the same. It was exactly (laughs) the same in Moon Knight. I'm sorry. The like, it's been it's been kind of middling most of the time even in the ones that people think where it's good, like Captain America, the winter soldier, it's, you know, in the, in that one, to be fair, the choreography is amazing, but the few times they get the choreography really right, they fuck up the filming of it. So it's sort of zero sum. It's always either one or the other. It's always either I can see it and it's not great or I can't, it is great, but I can't see it. And I'm sort of, I'm sort of just over it. I guess this maybe where I'm at with this. I'd much rather just laugh at Gail. Garcia Bernal revealing that the giant, you know that the the monster he's there to save is Man Thing, who is a super weird character, and I'm just glad to see them in the MCU. And I'm just I'm I would much rather laugh at that being revealed that his name is Ted.
1: Is than, that from the comics? Is that it's just something they made up? Is he named in the comics?
0: You know, honestly, I don't remember off the top of my head, um, but. I don't care. Like, it's such a it was such a wonderful moment. They're like, what's he called? And he's like, Ted. <laughs> just like, it doesn't matter um, because that moment is so good. And I really enjoyed that. I'd much rather just focus on things like uh, Harriet Sansom Harris, who plays Varusa Bloodstone, who's the, like, lover and wife of the elder hunter who's just died, who clearly understands what type of movie she's in maybe better than anyone else (laughs) uh and just dials every aspect of her performance to 11 um in like the but not in like a bad way like in a perfect way like in a perfectly over the top 30s serial kind of way and uh, i even liked um i also like laura donnelly i know you can't tell her apart from Uh, Kristen Ritter, but I really liked Laura Donnelly as Elsa Bloodstone, the sort of prodigal daughter who's returning home after years of estrangement, and uh, I just, I thought the whole thing was really fun, I thought it was super fun, and that's all I want from these things anymore, really, is for them to be if if Marvel's going to keep making movies, and let's be clear, they're going to keep making movies, and TV shows I want them to either be meaningful, or fun or both
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and for me this was a fun one and I am perfectly fine with it being just that
1: yeah it was very light I mean maybe that's why I when it finished I was just like yeah it, it is very light it doesn't go too far in any direction and it is fun but it is also kind of disposable would you agree
0: I mean but that's fine like they're all at the end of the day they're all kind of disposable like there's not really one that's like, I can't. I can't think of one off the top of my head right now that would be like preserved in like by for like cultural reasons, right? Like you know when films get added to the national archive or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's not like that, like I don't think any of them are going to be that. I think if we're gonna if they're gonna keep making just entertainment like comic books, it. this is the thing too. I very much appreciate that Marvel. Marvel stuff is getting more comic booky because comic books have a wide variety of tones and styles and art styles and I just love that they are leaning into their and it's I and also this is maybe a personal thing but I love that all the dude bros online are just melting down because like the more comic booky Marvel stuff gets the more they seem to hate
1: it. It's fine. It's fine. Not everyone likes comic books or understands how to tell a comic book story. If they don't like comic yeah. books that's fine. <laughs> but if they do then they have a problem
0: yeah so anyway it's not,
1: about, it's not about the comics is it clearly at this
0: point no not at all um either way though like i say i thought this was super fun um i hope that they keep doing holidays like this is a one-off one-hour halloween special we we know we're getting uh the guardians of the galaxy holiday special before we get guardians of the galaxy 3 and I kind of hope that they just keep doing holiday specials. Like, give me, give me Werewolf by Night again, but give me another one-hour episode next Halloween, uh, or you know, uh, give me a holiday special. Like, just give me these things. Give me more random stuff because I yeah. am enjoying it so far.
1: And give give Michael Giaccio, Giaccio, you're the Italian yeah. speaker, Giacchino, Giacchino, Giacchino. Giac- the double C is a K okay yeah Uh, so give michael giacchino just more stuff to direct because you can hear it from his music he's a really fun guy Uh, i've seen some interviews with him there's a great article about how he was given basically a week to write the rogue one soundtrack and uh because the when they re-edited it the original composer couldn't work it into a schedule so they're like my god do you want to do star wars and his kids are like yes yes he would like to do star wars <laughs> they're like great you've got a week you got like 10 days and he just hit it if you listen to the rogue one soundtrack you can just hear like him <laughs> just really going for it and he's a really fun guy and and that really comes through in his uh direction of this as well like i think it's it's uh it's a really fun fun funly directed if that makes sense i think there's yep. a lot of um there's a lot of uh, levity to it so yeah give him more stuff definitely
0: yeah i mean the only thing i know for sure he's directed is he directed one of these star trek short treks and oh, which
1: one
0: uh it was called hang on i'll have to bring it up here uh it's an animated one though and um it's yeah it's called Ephraim and Dot. Uh, and it's a it's a wonderful little story. He's actually turns out he's a really good uh, director. And you can and speaking of which, um, of his like fun style, like I don't know if you he's he's by far my favorite working composer these days. But one of the things I love about him, aside from the fact that he makes good music, is that if you ever read the uh, track titles on his scores, they are amazing, and it's clearly because he just. Is a fun guy. Like there's a in Ghost Protocol, which he scored, and the score for that. There's obviously if you if you've seen that movie, which of course you have. There's a the big final fight takes place in this like automated parking garage, and the music that plays is called World's Worst Parking Valet. <laughs> uh, uh, Doctor Strange like- has a, a track called Astral World's Worst Killer. Um
1: and, and the Star Trek soundtrack has tons of really terrible trek puns in the in the uh, titles as well. That's
0: oh yeah. One of my favorite pieces of music he's ever written is the music that plays in 2009's Star Trek movie when Kirk and Bones are in a shuttlecraft and you get to see this uh, they fly up from Earth towards the starbase, and it's the first time you see the Enterprise on screen, and it's this wonderfully like triumphant score, and the track is called Enterprising Young Men. <laughs>
1: Oh yeah. my
0: god! Yeah, there's a in Spider-Man: Far From Home when he's fighting, uh, like the water monster. Uh, I believe that's the one that's called World's Worst Water Feature. <laughs> <It's> the, <laughs> so he just seems like a super fun guy. Yeah. Um, and and I just I I want him to keep making stuff. I I think he's overdue for a second Oscar, and maybe he can get it for directing at some point. Who knows?
1: Um, yeah.
0: Anyway, so uh, how many yeah, st- how many stars out of 5 for you? Oh,
1: it's it's a solid 3. It's fine. It was it was I really liked the black and white and I it feels wrong to reference Shinza's list, but he does the same thing as Spielberg does with the flash of red against the black and white. I thought it was super effective. Uh, yeah. Oh, I really really liked how I was expecting full like werewolf transformation, but they he absolutely went to the wolfman transformation which is a man with fake teeth and a little bit of hair around his face and uh, i appreciated that too Um, i actually really
0: like i actually really like the sequence when he transforms with his shot facing away from him with someone else looking horrified and shadows on the wall and i i really enjoyed Mm. that sequence in particular it's in the trailer so it's not a spoiler just for the
1: record yeah yeah
0: yeah, how about you for me, it's four. I had too much fun for it to be anything other than a four.
1: Yeah, that's fair enough.
0: And uh, I honestly can't. If even if if Werewolf by Night just becomes like an annual holiday special, I would love that. Because uh, the other thing, the other thing is that now that they've shown that they can do this kind of story in an hour why do they keep making like six hour miniseries and movies? Like they can just do more like this if <laughs> they can make an episode of TV that's this good in an hour. I wish they could just, cause like you could definitely see where this whole thing would get stretched out to like seven or eight half hour episodes or four, one hour episodes. And I'm glad they mm. didn't do that this time. Yeah. It's, yeah, you exactly. know, it, it drops you in, it does everything you need to do and it gets the hell out. It's, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's yeah. perfectly executed in that way.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Yeah, so four for me.
1: Okay, excellent.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, let's move on uh, to headier material.
1: Yeah, a slow tone.
0: Uh, yeah, let's, let's just change things up a little bit. Uh, so next up, we are talking uh, about All Quiet on the Western Front, which is the latest adaptation of the 1929 novel of the same name, Uh, famously previously adapted in 1930, won a ton of Oscars. It's been Mm -hmm. adapted a number of times. Um, Why don't you give us the rundown on this one?
1: Um, So All Quiet on the Western Front is, like said, shot from the German perspective of the First World War, sending basically hordes of young boys to the trenches. And it's no spoiler to let you know that it is a an horrific experience because the film wants to point out the 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 war as heck <laughs> like it's it, it's very different and we were talking to, about this before we started recording that i was thinking a lot about 1917 that the uh movie that won the oscar 1917 shot in its like simulated single shot which i really really liked i really, really like that movie and this film makes an interesting comparison and even a companion piece because it kind of takes all of the darker elements of 1917 and it feels like it amplifies them on a more realistic level. Like there's a couple of shots in the new or Quiet on the Western front where the, our main character, um, we follow a, a young boy called Paul, played by Felix Camera. And there's a couple of shots where he's running into camera with things happening behind him. And that happens in 1917 a few times as well. And I just feel like Western Front uh, fills the frame with more awfulness. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like they, it, it takes the idea of 1917, which is to show the horrific way these boys were treated, and of course from a different country's perspective, but it's the same thing. And it is, it's, a, it's two and a, it's a half hours long, almost, and it is brutal. And it's interesting in that, that it's not constantly brutal. Like, it's not, um, you're not sad for the whole thing. There are moments of levity where these boys sort of bond together with the slightly older um, fighters who have been there longer. Um, and there's moments where they're, like, stealing, they steal a goose and they they cook it all together and it's so effective in giving you that moment of showing them as being these happy boys and then just (laughs) forcing them into this terrible situation and in the second half of this movie it increasingly cuts back to the generals who who are eating off their fine plates, the silverware and talking about the relationship with their parents and eating this fine food. In fact, there's one battle that cuts between a a, a general dinner and the most awful experiences these boys are uh, having on the battlefield whilst the um, official negotiator is trying to call a truce with the the French equivalent. Um, So you've got all these elements happening and basically it's, it wants to show you how the horror and futility of this war is not something we should ever forget. And it's very interesting for me because I'm English, and so I watched a lot of war movies growing up, and guess what? A lot of them were kind of gung-ho and heroic, and we won, like Battle Britain, and chill-up boys, and we stormed the beach. And from the German point of view, you're not going to get that kind of same kind of movie for multiple obvious reasons. And it is horrific. Like, what's your take
0: on it? Yeah. This movie, it's interesting We you bring up 1917, because one thing I said after I watched it to my wife is that this movie is basically what I wanted 1917 to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I feel like 1917 is a very well-made movie, don't get me wrong. Um, and it does put its lead character through the ringer, but in a way where it still comes away... You know, heroic, for lack of a better word, very. You know, there's a hopeful moment at the end. Um, This movie is not that. Uh, This movie shows that these are they're young, they're boys, they're being literally fed into a meat grinder. Especially like they go over the top, they come out of the trenches and charge several times in this movie, and it is harrowing every single time.
1: I have no idea how the hell they could manage to direct quite long shots that are tracking yeah. these boys running across it's, it's incredible to watch
0: yeah and it's also i mean just to stick on 1917 for a second it also highlights so 1917 don't be wrong i think roger Deacons Deacons is a genius and i think sam mendes is a good director and i think that it kind of gets lost in the gimmick of it simulating one long take a little bit and Al quiet in the western front uses a absolute ton of super long takes as well but then knows when to cut and when to move and when to change angles and i feel like the visual storytelling is stronger for it personally um but still you still get all of the effectiveness of the long takes especially those charges through no man's land um the opening 10 minutes of this film are basically a short film in and of themselves. That is one of the most harrowing things I think I've ever seen. Uh, like if you told me that that, those, that opening sequence leading up to Paul getting his uniform, um, if you told me that sequence was like a short film that won an Oscar, I'd be like, yeah, of course it is. Uh, it's so beautifully shot and so gut wrenchingly, just visceral. Like it just drops you right in. Um, or it just it doesn't really drop you right Like It takes a minute to like be, It's very quiet and then there's a few gunshots and then there's a few more gunshots and then you're in no man's land and then you're in the middle of a battle and a man dies and then it takes you through the whole sequence of all these soldiers' bodies being stripped of their uniforms, the uniforms being repaired, and then handed to a new group of young boys. And it's just gut-wrenching to watch
1: that circular feeding motion of boys in boys out is something that's carried on through the whole movie and used as uh, as kind of bookends as well and a little bit yeah incredibly effective and the it really highlights um that the the admin people who are back safe and sound on the bases. who uh, there's one scene where after having pulled the dog tags off corpses the bags get sent back so the families can be told and then there's a, just a pile of metal dog tags and they pull out one by one and they read out the names and the date of birth but so flippantly and like joking around that oh yesterday was his birthday and, and then throwing it to the side and it's like all of there is so much of uh people safe people uh kind of treat, treating this whole thing flippantly like generals and the, the army officers who are doing all this and then the contrast of the the soldiers on the front line is incredibly effective and it's devastating as well I mean it's definitely the kind of movie that you know that there, there's no such thing as a happy ending in this movie so you're, it's pretty clear early on how they're going to make their final point and it's just devastating to see them get to that point. But mm-hmm. a standout for me, everyone the acting was phenomenal from everyone, but the stand up mm-hmm. for me again in pretty much in every movie he's ever in is Daniel Bruden Br- sorry. Yeah, I was gonna has, I was gonna bring
0: him up next, yeah. Who,
1: who is always amazing and in English and in German, but he in, in this he's got he's, a really interesting part because he's desperately trying to stop all these boys getting killed by negotiating with the french
0: yeah he's like the he's like the one the one sympathetic non-soldier in the whole movie pretty yeah. much
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, he plays real historical figure matthias uh ersberger oh. Oh, the know. man who signed the armistice that ended the war mm-hmm. um and there's so many scenes of him like that scene you mentioned with the dog tags He's in that scene, there's these two people, like one person reading out names and dates of birth, and one person writing them down. And at a certain point, he's just like en- enough. It's enough. It's enough. Mm-hmm. And even the moment when he's like, there's a moment where the 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 French offer him conditions for surrender. And they're like, You have 72 hours. And he's like, fifty thousand people could die in or say seventy two hours. And he's like, fifty thousand people could die in that time. And the German and the French guy is just like, so sign. I don't care like sign sign it then (laughs) it's so callous and cold and like I mean World War I is a complicated topic and I know that the you know there's a whole discussion of the Treaty of Versailles and how that eventually led to World War II and all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff but like there's a real like callousness from those French generals but the callousness is not just from them it's from literally everyone else in the movie except for erzberger and in particular there's one german general who's like longing for a victorious battle which he won't go into himself but wants to claim credit and it's just so so harrowing and yeah Yeah. it's funny how all you have to do to make to make an anti-war film is to show a realistic depiction of war yeah uh, because it turns out that war is hell and we've all known that the whole time and no no matter how many times someone tells you you can go be a hero uh, ultimately you're going to end up face down in the muck stuck in a hole in no man's land with an enemy soldier who you've murdered to death
1: yeah and like uh, Erzberger has this moment where the generals are like so they'll They'll come home. They'll starve on the way home instead of dying with honor on the battlefield. He's like, "Well, my son died in this war. Where's his honor? Like, yeah. where, that this this idea of fake uh, of honor is so destructive. This uh, false. Uh, another point he says that what's what's stopping us is our our false pride in trying to be the victor. And it's 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 so desperate. And of course, it's so relevant now looking at what's going on in ukraine and and how desperate it is there and how awful uh, the atrocities are and how helpless you feel watching that news story is the same when you watch these boys being told to run across a field and and being with them and just not being able to influence that and the i don't know the 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 standard for wartime like uh, shocking battle scenes for many, many, years was the the D-Day landings in Saving Private Ryan, which mm-hmm. um, Spielberg, it's you know he's he's a brilliant director and it is fantastic. I feel like the war scenes in this were more realistic and more harrowing and genuinely terrifying because you are in the the point of view that, that it keeps you very, very close to this little group. That forms, and so when you see flames or that or the uh, the French tanks coming through the mists, and, and it's just awful. But in in a way, it's meant to be. Like it's so effective.
0: I mean, it's just. I think it's just meant to be. I mean the yes. the the details of this film are so. Cor- I don't know if correct is the right word for it, but anytime they're crossing no man land, no man's land, like every puddle is tinged red, uh, mm. except, and like when they're, they're running through the mist in one time and as they get further toward the French lines and more of them are being shot, the mist turns slowly red and it's from the mist of them being shot. Like it's the red mist of them being shot. Mm. And then that scene you mentioned with the, the tanks coming out of the mist on the other side, cause it's the same scene. Like they are being followed by a yellow mist because they've just dropped gas. Mm. And, and, yeah. The whole thing is like the, the 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 tank scene in particular in this film is terrifying uh, in a way where like the end the end of Saving Private Ryan where they're fighting the Panzer tanks and the Tiger tanks in that tiny village is also terrifying um, because tanks are just terrifying if you don't if you're not also in a tank uh, but this one where it's the tanks are running over the top of the trenches and in one case falling into the trench and it just, the camera like at no point looks away from what happens when this kind of thing happens. Um, and, uh, it's yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's terrifying and it's so, so, I mean, uh, Daniel Brule, don't be wrong. Daniel Bruhl is amazing in this. Um, I would, I would prefer to shout out Felix Kammerer who plays Paul and Albrecht uh, Shuk. I don't know how to pronounce his name, who plays Cat, who are like the two sort of main characters, Mm -hmm. um, are both so effective. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paul from, like, when we first meet Cat, he's been on the front lines for a while, so he's a little bit desensitized to it all. Mm -hmm. Um, But then when his moments of humanity, like, shine through, they shine so brightly. And Mm -hmm. because Paul... Because Felix's performance starts out so bright and so young and so hopeful mm. that by the end when he's basically the shell of a human being at all it's it's such a... so effective. His performance in those moments is so mm. effective.
1: And it's very subtle how he changes his body language from the beginning and the end when it comes to killing people. Like yeah. a, In one of the last battles that leads to another harrowing moment, he he has changed so completely from this very nervous like person firing like misfiring the rifle almost into the air in the first fight to being a really effective killer but without any kind of thought behind it it's it's very very um, it's a great performance
0: yeah and then that's one of the scenes that's bookended by you know he's he's the young hapless soldier in the first battle uh where cat is the experienced one. And then in the last battle, he's the experienced mm-hmm. one and there's a new kid. And like yeah. that, that parallel is just so yeah. goddamn effective.
1: Yeah. And it was really awful. You've talked about the beginning as well, but there's, there's a scene where the boys are desperate to go and they're so happy. And the, um, the headmaster of the school is reading all the names out and giving them this like rip roaring speech about defending the fatherland. And you know, you'll be in Paris by Christmas and blah, blah, blah. And you know, like, hindsight is a terrible thing when you know, like, that this is, um, you know where this is going, you know how it's going to end, and you know the lies, because the, the people, the, the, the people, the adults in the room, know that they're sending these boys most likely to their death, and it's just so infuriating that that, that could have ever happened that way. which I'm sure it did it on all
0: sides um and not even just in this war like i think it's a pretty well established um pattern of history of you know rich or nobility the rich or the nobility or the 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 higher ups of society being like go to war distinguish yourself as a hero earn glory and perhaps maybe join me on my tier of society maybe if you're
1: lucky enough yeah, to it anyway yeah
0: uh um, back
1: with an iron cross by in a few months. It's right. And then an you can lion. be
0: then you can be a factory worker if you if you yeah. if you have both your hands. Um you yeah. know. It's
1: uh so we we've talked a lot tonally about this film, uh, but we sound like we're being really, really negative. But I just want to point out that technically this I don't, film is I don't a think masterpiece.
0: We're, I don't think that we're sounding negative at all. I think oh, we're good, just good, good. I, I think just... I think that we're grappling with the material, which <laughs> yeah. is which is, I mean, there's no other word for it. It is brutal. It's brutal. It's horrific. It is gut-wrenching. It is, this movie is very technically a masterpiece. Yeah. It is so well shot. I actually would like, I was going to, the next thing I wanted to come to actually was, I really liked the score, which I'm sure some people will find a bit jarring because it's a bit, Anachronistic. It's it's very modern, it very like yeah, yeah, very yeah. like industrial yeah. uh, score, metallic, that, yeah. um, very metallic, and and it doesn't pop up that much. So in keeping with the title of the film, uh, yeah, a lot of this film is super quiet, yeah, and
1: is used so well.
0: And when the when the music does pop up, it is made more effective as a result. And it and when it pops up, it doesn't just like fade in. It like it. It, it drops into the scene and like gives it a, an effect yeah. um, that will yeah. just just shake you up, and I I really really like that about it.
1: it, it it's interesting, and it actually, you've reminded me of something I thought about when I was watching it and listening to the soundtrack and thinking exactly the same thing as you are. Um, that so much of this is shot almost like a horror movie, like a classic horror movie. You talked about um, werewolves and uh, by night like what makes a horror for me this is a true horror movie because Mm -hmm. this touch this isn't just a jump scare and then a finale this is true horror and it is filmed in that way it is filmed as an explicit horror and murders are quick and dirty like there's no um there's a couple of moments where he's he's up front in trenches or in in ditches and it's not just a bullet and they're down. There's some extended killing in this and it is horrific. So yeah, this is a true horror, but technically it's incredible movie. Incredible.
0: I mean, yeah, I think, I think, I think that's actually one of the great strengths of the film. And I can't remember, to be perfectly honest, how well or how much 1917 or any other war film does this, but in a way where lots of other films, lots of other war films would cut away and leave it to your imagination. And this film almost never does. And it's, and it's any, and in a lot of other films, when, when the killing happens, if it's left on screen, it's kind of sensationalized to the point where it doesn't feel real. Mm -hmm. Um, And this film never does that. This film, it's always dirty. It's always brutal. It's always the ordeal that it must be in real life. And I also very much appreciated that about it. Cause it's just like, again, all you have to do to make an anti-war film is shoot a realistic depiction of war. And that is what this movie is. It's, it it feels real on a level that I don't think a war movie has felt in quite a while.
1: It's weird though, that we're talking about how horrific it is to watch. And I, I, I'm only going to compare it to Blonde because of what how I talked about Blonde. Uh, not, obviously, we're not getting into the, the qualities of them, but it's um, one of my main criticisms of Blonde is that it was horrific from beginning to end with no contrast or lighter moments to, to make the horrific seem more horrific. It was just all down. And this movie does have, it's very, very clever... In letting us see them happy, so that when we see them sad, it's even worse. It's a much better kind of horrific. So it is a, a horrific movie, but it's one you should absolutely watch. Yeah. Like everyone should watch this film. Absolutely,
0: uh, I agree. Yeah, with uh, with How with with all of the all of the things you're saying here.
1: How many stars would you like to give? All Quiet on the Western Front. 2022,
0: not 1930. Uh, so w- I uh, it's, I would say it's at least four. I've been struggling with this, actually. Um, I gave it four when I first finished watching, watching it. Uh, and the more I think about it, the more that we talk about it, the more I think it might actually be a five.
1: Mm-hmm. You? It's a, it's a five for me it's it's uh i studied this era in in college when i studied history for a couple of years and so it's it feels very true to that horrors that i learned about and it's the kind of movie that i think needs to be watched and it is so technically brilliant brilliantly directed and brilliantly acted and utterly chilling and horrifying and I uh, I think it's probably the best war movie I've seen in years, like true war movie, maybe even decades, because it it captures, it doesn't glamorize anything. And you're right, it's very interesting what, how you talk about 1917. I loved 1917, but there were definitely moments where it was more about it being a one-shot than about being the drama, and this is every there isn't a wasted frame in this or wasted moment and the contrast between the elements is so brilliantly done that um, uh you should definitely get that oscar nomination if not and just
0: uh i mean i don't want to spoil the end of the movie for anyone but the end of 1917 it ends with a, a moment of contemplation and a like how will i ever go home after this but it's still ultimately he has been the hero he's he's been through a bunch of things, but ultimately he's achieved his goal and he's been the hero. Um, you know, he's still like the young British soldier. He's going to go home and have a metal pinned on his chest and, and tell stories at dinner parties, uh, all quite on the Western front is a, oh. is a truer depiction of how we take young men and feed them into a meat grinder. <laughs> it's, it's, sure. uh, and I, I'm sort of, and I say this as someone who friggin' adored Top Gun Maverick this year, that I'm sort of over the propaganda version of War, <laughs> uh, which is an interesting thing for me to now have to reconcile. But um,
1: uh, yeah, you, you could like both. Like, Maverick's a very different kind of movie. Like, it's, yeah. ent- entertainment versus reality, I think, is a fair separation.
0: Yeah. And I think the the, and I liked nineteen seventeen. Just to be clear, um, that uh, it that feels very much like entertainment, and this feels very much like reality. Mm -hmm. And in a way where you could make an argument that nineteen seventeen is is an anti-war film as well. And again, any film that shows any realistic depiction of war is pretty much an anti-war film at this point. But Mm -hmm. it it still comes out of it with a, like, you could survive. You could, if you join up and do the thing, you'll survive. Uh, and this is very much like war is hell. You will probably die and you'll probably lose everything. And you will probably lose everything about yourself before you do. <laughs> Yay. So like, don't get me wrong. This movie is a bummer, but it is. Yeah, it's, it's one of the, I would say it's one of the best films of the year.
1: Why did you come out of this thinking four? I'm really curious what didn't make it a five for you out of your initial, after your initial viewing.
0: You know, I don't actually really know. I think, um, I think it's part of, um, I find that my opinions can be kind of fluid for the first little while after I see something. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were definitely moments where I was like, is this too much or is it not enough? Um, Mm-hmm. And I'm also super reluctant to give out fives at this point. And uh, I think so. Uh, at the time we're recording this, I watched this last night, and I think what makes it a five now is just the more I think about it, the more I think about it.
1: And, yeah, that's and right.
0: and certainly our discussion thereof has helped as well. So I think mm-hmm. I think that has bumped it to a five for me. Okay. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Good. Good. So yes, watch both of these things. Enjoy yeah. one and be horrified by the other.
0: Yeah. Well, if you want to watch both of these things, luckily, Werewolf by Night is already out on Disney+. And if you haven't seen it in your top row, I would be shocked because they are promoting the shit out of it because it's Marvel. Uh, not, All Quiet on the Western Front is actually currently playing in its limited theatrical release. If you live in <laughs> Toronto... You can see it at the Tiff Bell Lightbox. And if you live in Vancouver, you can see it at the Biff Center. Uh, And it's also playing in um, Ottawa, Calgary, Victoria, Edmonton, Waterloo, a number of other Canadian cities. If you Google it, you will find listings. But it will debut on Netflix uh, on October the 28th. So in about 13 days, in about two weeks, you'll be able to watch it on Netflix. Um, uh, But if you live in any of the cities where it's playing, I would be super jealous of you getting to see this on a big screen.
1: Oh, it could yeah. be like, that might be like too much for me to see this on the big screen. It's...
0: Yeah. But I mean, isn't everything kind of too much for you on a big screen right now? I mean, it's been, like, it's... <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs>
1: I watched DC League of Super Pets and I was totally fine.
0: Thank um, you. Yeah, well, it was the first time for everything. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so like I say, if you if you live in any of those cities uh, and there is a full list if you Google it, but uh, it's definitely worth seeing on a big screen. I wish that I had. But again, 28th of October, it'll be on Netflix and you should definitely seek it out because it is, it is again, Germany's entrant uh, for the best international Oscar race and i will i haven't seen a lot of the other entrants to that race at this point but uh i feel like it's going to be stiff competition with that and say decision to leave and broker out of japan and korea respectively
1: it might win because india is not putting forward RRR has chosen a different movie
0: yeah. Although, uh, did you not hear that the producers of Farah are putting it forward in like literally every other category? <laughs> and, <laughs> honestly,
1: really and honestly,
0: I hope it wins them all. Uh, that would be amazing. Uh, yeah, it's been a good year for international cinema. It's uh, yeah, good. I uh, I've actually been keeping I've actually been keeping a list so every year i I, we do our top 10 at the end of the year and i've been trying to like expand that a little bit to be like favorite performances and favorite films and a few other things and this year i've been keeping a list of like favorite like scenes or moments from films as well and this is the the opening of this film will definitely make that list like Mm -hmm. 100 percent. it will Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah
1: Good, what are we talking about next week, then? What's
0: on the cards? I have no idea, because uh, uh, life is busy. Uh, is a
1: we could do a Halloween special and watch uh, the two Happy Death Days, and then it follows.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we, we could watch.
1: My favorite Halloween movies.
0: Yeah, I'm actually really I am kind of upset that um, we won't be able to watch or talk about Guillermo del Toro's uh, okay. Cabinet of Curiosities because of uh, scheduling, unfortunately, so it would oh. have to come out of our normal flow. But I might what's,
1: what's work, the work. for that? Then
0: it's like t- a day or two after we normally release an episode. Oh, dear. Um, but I'm very much looking forward to watching that. Um, but yeah, we will we will have something next week. I don't yet know what it is, uh, <laughs> but we will have we'll be back with something next week. Uh, in the meantime. This is where we say thank you to everyone who has been listening to this episode and every other. We do love each and every one of you. And if you have liked what you have heard, please consider giving us a five-star review on your podcasting platform of choice uh, and smash that subscribe button because that helps us helps the most. Uh, And if there's a like button, smash that one too. It's uh, those things help immeasurably. But if you do want to help a little more directly, we do have a Patreon, which you can find, in the show notes, but it is, uh, it's just linked in the show notes and so is our coffee. Um, if you'd like to interact with us, we would love to hear from you. And the easiest way to interact with us is on Twitter. You can find me at Matthew AF, and you can find him at temporary pen, and you can find us at awesome Friday CA. We are some variation of those on basically every social platform that we are actually on. And we would love to hear from you. Uh, we do also have a, uh, email form on the website. If you are, our age and don't do social media. Um, yeah, we uh, we record and produce this here in Vancouver on the unceded lands of the Musqueam, and Selk'oot, and Squamish Nations. Uh, I have been Matthew. He has been Simon. Thank you so much for listening and for joining us on this awesome Friday.